Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Bitstamp and the Galaxy Brains Podcast. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Happy Monday and welcome to The Hash. You are watching us on Coindesk TV and maybe listening on the Podcast Network. I'm Jen Snassi. We got Zach Seward, Wendy O, and Will Foxley here today. Zach, you got our first story. What is going on with SBF? All right, we're going to the SBF saga, the latest chapter after him entering custody in the Bahamas. Some back and forth as to whether or not he was going to resist extradition to the USA. That is, now it seems as though SBF is agreeing to be extradited to the US as soon as today following a hearing in the Bahamas according to a source of direct knowledge and as reported by Bloomberg. So the speculation here is that SBF maybe thinks that he can get out on bail uh, during the proceedings if he is in the U.S. He's been in jail for exactly a week at the notorious Fox Hill prison in the Bahamas, which has long been reported to be really bad in terms of conditions. That may have changed his mind. There was some back and forth. And now, according to Bloomberg at least, he may be expected to agree to extradition at the hearing in the Bahamas today. We'll be monitoring this one today over on Coindesk.com, but that is the latest we got. Sources talking to Bloomberg. Jen, I'm going to toss it to you. What's this really about? What do you think the extradition saga is really about as it relates to SPF in the wake of this arrest? Well, I don't have a hot take here, but I do think that, you know, given that the lawyers have done such a quick 180 in terms of not resisting extradition, to the U.S., I think that they are working on a plan to make SBF as comfortable as possible. And as we know, in the Bahamas, they have denied bail. I mean, you know if you've there have been a lot of news outlets that have reported on the conditions of Fox Hill Prison in the last little while. We know SBF has his own cell in the prison. I think in the medical section of the prison, so he's not um, with general population. He does have his own cell. I just think that probably. He is not enjoying it, and they are looking at plan B, C, D, and E to see how comfortable they can make him. And that's what I think it's about. I guess time will tell what happens when he does get extradited to the U.S. 
if he is convicted on all of the charges that are laid against him, he could spend the rest of his life in prison. So it'll be interesting to see how this is handled once he is extradited to the U.S. I know there are some people on both sides of the coin looking at whether there are some conspiracy theories here, but I'll just leave it at that. Will, what do you think? Yeah, no, I kind of like how Zach put it when this all went down, he got arrested. It was the end of the season, right? It was the season finale. We got the bad guy in jail and it was all over. But of course, it's going to piddle out a little bit more. There's some post takes and post scripts, if you will. And there should be, right? Because there's some interesting stuff here. He doesn't want to be in Fox Hill prison. It's notorious top five worst prison in the world, according to some people. The State Department even wrote up back in 2020 about it, like the conditions there just being terrible. And it's pretty hard to go from an Albany penthouse in the Bahamas into a jail cell in Fox Hill and try to make that workable, right? So he's going to try to move to the U.S. One thing that was included in that Reuters or was the Bloomberg article was the fact that SPF thinks he can get bail in the United States versus bail in Bahamas. He tried to get bail in the Bahamas. And why does he want bail? Well, I guess he wants to get out and have better conditions. He probably can pay for it. Few is like different ways of getting money. Uh, but I am curious if he wants to get out on bail just so he can do more PR running around and try to get some more support for himself. That's what I'm curious about. Like, what is this fixation on getting out on bail when it's more than likely, if you look at the counts against him, he's more than likely going to prison for a very, very long time. So bail is not going to do that much for him. It's going away for, for life, possibly. So I'm curious why that's happening. That's one thing I want to see followed up on. Wendy, you can throw it up to you, get your take on the story. So the reason why people generally want bail is because they know that they're going to go away either for a long time or a short time, and they want to be able to resolve any types of business or whatever that they have. In his particular case, I think that he is a flight risk. I think with a lot of the connections he has, especially politically, I would probably deny bail too if I was a judge. But I did did call it that he was not going to be in general population. And I think the little charade he pulled in the courthouse with him saying, can I take my shirt off to administer my medication patch? was a way for him to kind of show that he's not well enough to be a general population. So I don't, I think that his living conditions in this particular jail are probably better than most other people because he's kind of away, even if it's disgusting and gross in the cell, at least he's not in general population because that's a whole different beast to deal with. Now, as far as why he'd want to come to the US, it makes sense. Again, he's going to have a lot more power, a lot more control over here. It's probably a little bit easier to maybe bribe or not bribe different people especially with the connections that his people have. That's just my opinion. Either way, I think that this whole entire thing is a mockery and it's just very sad, everything that's happened. Fair enough, well, fair enough. I mean, I'll shut it down. I mean, we're going to watch this and see what happens <laughs> if this report comes to be true and SBF is carted off back to the US for day's end. That's what's being reported here and we will let you know if that happens. All right, that's it for the story. I'm going to Will. Oh, What's going I've got on? one more part to you add. You got one more thing? Can go I? for it. Yeah, I was actually supposed to be in the Bahamas to go to the court thing and all that stuff, but I said no because it just seems like a too much of a charade for me. But shout out to everybody that's there. That's it could have been our man on the street, Wendy. Next time, Bahamas? take the opportunity, fill us in, enjoy the sunshine, and get the inside scoop. If you can go to the Bahamas, go to the Bahamas, Wendy. I don't know what you're thinking. It's winter out here. Okay, let's go to Binance through. US. Let's talk about the assets they have chosen to purchase. They step back in the ring for Voyager digital assets. Assets after it's going through a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. There was a few different companies uh, trying to bid on these assets, including FTX US, which originally won the rights to purchase all the assets on the exchange and then basically got all the customers from the exchange as well. And then FTX US blew up. They're now going through their own Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And Binance US has stepped in. Binance US is a subsidiary of Binance 
the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange. Why would Binance US want this? Well, we'll actually throw this one up to Wendy to get her take on it. From my understanding, basically they want the customers, right? You buy the platform, you buy all the assets, the platform, the technology, and you're going to hand back all the assets to the customers since chapter 11, but you also have the rights to their information. So that's what it seems to be a customer acquisition play. But I'll throw it up to you when you get your take on this story. So I personally think that this is a great PR move for Binance US, especially with all of the insanity that's been happening with them, you know, potentially being insolvent. That's a rumor. I'm not saying that they are insolvent, so please don't take my word on it. However, you should always custody your own crypto. Don't leave stuff on crypto exchanges. I think it's a really good PR move for them. Yes, customers will be able to get some back of what they left on the exchange. I've got money there, so yay, fantastic, great. But I think it is a really good PR move that Binance US is going to step in and kind of absorb Voyager. It's also a slap in the face to Sam and to FTX because FTX was going to swoop in and bail them out or you know save the day. And I think that FTX wanted to do that with a lot of the other companies that went down due to the crypto contagion. So it just seems that CZ is taking Sam's lead there, stepping in and doing the right thing, whether that's right or wrong, and saving the day. So it's a good PR move in my personal opinion. I have PTSD and deja vu all at the same time. So I remember when we were talking about FTX buying Voyager and I said, yeah, like what a great move. I think I did the quick napkin math at the cost per acquisition. I think it was about $400 per customer. And we were like, what a great way to acquire all of these customers. 1.7 million customers need a place to go. They need to be made whole. What a great time. Then FTX imploded and now Binance US has come in to save the day. Again, I'm not fudding or anything, but as I was reading the story, I remembered the story from last week that said that auditing firm that, that provided the proof of reserves for Binance has now taken those proof of reserves off of their website. They're not working with any more crypto clients. I just wonder what's going on there and I don't know what to make of anything. And so if I'm feeling this way, I can only imagine how customers, how Voyager customers, how FTX customers are feeling right now as they get all of this news and don't know how to make sense of it. Wendy? Really quickly on, I believe the company was Mazers that was doing the crypto audit. And I posted about this and I also talked about it on my show. Crypto audits are still technically new. And the way that they look at these compared to traditional audits is a lot different because crypto assets are very volatile. So it makes it a, the, the process a little bit more complicated. There's going to be a lot, a lot of growing pains when, um, when it comes to Miracle Tree reserves and crypto audits. And I think it's going to take years to really solidify a correct method that everybody feels comfortable with moving forward. So I just wanted to chime in about the auditing and how that's going to look like in the future. Zach, what's your take on this story though? I mean, that's a great point about the auditing. I was at an event last week talking to like an accounting firm guy who, you know, heads up their Web3 practice. And he was saying that there's just a ton of reputational risk out here for people who sort of are on the cutting edge of figuring out what these audits look like. It's just a tangle of like all these tricky questions and how you represent this stuff. And is it really worth the blowback? Should you get it wrong? And so a lot of these auditing firms are indeed scared away when it comes to auditing exchanges and, and even other firms within the space. So I think that is a really good point to bring up. I guess I have a lot of questions about this story and I don't really understand how are they buying all these assets? Does it go through the bankruptcy process? So they just have a higher time preference in terms of taking on some of these claims and then they're going to disperse the funds later. Is there a way that they're getting these on board more quickly? I really don't know enough about the workings of bankruptcy law to understand exactly how they're going to acquire all these crypto assets at the fair market value. Um, and I would imagine that that's going to take a really long time. So maybe it's a PR coup in the short term that is meant to sort of, I don't know, strengthen Binance US's image in the present market. But I'd imagine this would take a long time to get $1 billion of crypto assets 
out of this uh, bankrupt company and into some version of customers' hands. So I, I really have a lot of questions about where that money is coming from, how long it's going to take for it to happen, and whether or not it's going to be meaningful in the medium term. But that's just me. I'll toss it to Will. Yeah, I'll throw some more questions on there. And, you know, I just, I wish our head of law here on the hash, Jen, would actually help us out a little bit with this bankruptcy <laughs> proceeding because it's a bit confusing, Jen, and we really need your, your expertise here. But there's a few more questions in there, right? Like they said, they, they might pay in kind, they might pay in dollars. How does that matter? Does that matter? Which one will people prefer? Does it have more flexibility there? Cost more to Binance US? And then the customer acquisition, like how, how much is a customer worth at this point in crypto going into crypto winter? Are they really worth the amount that they're paying for it? I mean, this was bid on during the summer. I think the bid was a little higher from FTX US. And this bid is a little bit lower from Binance US. And certainly the bid over the summer is probably worth a little bit more. Like we hadn't gone through a lot of the contagion uh, that we saw in November. But I, I have to think that a customer is not worth that much in terms of acquisitions at the moment, just because we're looking at a prolonged bear cycle. That's what a lot of people are thinking. So purchasing that customer information might not do a whole lot for you at this moment. And then the PR thing, I think a lot of people are scared of that at the moment, right? Because FTX did that this summer, and it turns out that they had an emperor with no clothes, right? We just had to wait a few months, and before you knew it, FTX was gone. Uh, why is Binance running back the same playbook? I'm sure they have some answers for that. Maybe we need to send an investigative squad out to California to get some answers from Binance US. That would be good to get. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Yeah, it looks like some of the answers are going to be provided on January 5th, should anyone want to get out there. This is all contingent on the bankruptcy court approving this deal. So January 5th at that hearing, I think we'll get a little bit more clarity as to whether or not this gets consummated. But yeah, I think there's a lot of questions surrounding this one. Hopefully we get to the bottom of it come next week or two weeks from now. So anyway, Jen, tossing to our legal expert. Any last thoughts on this one? Well, I must say, I saw my legal associate, Wendy, put her hand up and she is out there in California. So maybe we can get her, you know, on the scene because she can't go to the Bahamas. On the trail. Maybe she can get she could get us the inside scoop there. I'm going to pass it up to you, Wendy. I just want all of this to come to an end. I really, really do. And probably my biggest question is, is because we're dealing with a crypto bankruptcy instead of a traditional Chapter 11 bankruptcy, things are going to be different. Like I have friends that work in Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They do collections. They do legal, all different types of stuff. So nobody knows what's going on. Like I've had my friend go and ask his people and he's like, we have no idea how this would even work because of the, the assets are so volatile. So this is actually good that this is coming to an end. Hopefully Binance US pulls through. Hopefully, you know, Binance remains solvent and we start to get some answers and also some direction on what's going to happen legal-wise when we're going into the next bull run and how these types of things can be prevented, hopefully. Times are tough, particularly for crypto. But Bitstamp's different. Bitstamp is the longest-running crypto exchange and among the most regulated in the world, which includes a bit license in New York and a payment institution license in Europe. And when it comes to your funds, with Bitstamp, your crypto belongs to you. All your fiat and crypto are kept 100% separated. It's why Crypto Compare ranked Bitstamp the number one crypto exchange, awarding them the highest possible AA rating. Learn more at bitstamp.net. Hey, Will Foxley here, co-host of The Hash. One thing we can take away from everything going on in crypto right now is that it's important to go deep and verify. Crypto Twitter is great, but 280 characters can only go so far. One podcast we love is Galaxy Brains. Here's the host, Alex Thorne, head of research at Galaxy Digital. Thanks, Will. 
for in-depth takes and probing analysis on topics, trends, and events across the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency ecosystem, check out Galaxy Brains, our weekly podcast. Find Galaxy Brains on your favorite podcast app and on galaxy.com forward slash research. Presented to you by one of the most trusted teams in the industry. So our next story, you guys, is about none other than Vitalik talking about Elon Musk because Elon Musk bans to put Twitter on path to authoritarianism. Hmm. So he says that the amount of bans over the past week are putting Twitter on the path to authoritarianism. Uh, Vitalik said Musk has been using a strategy he calls central planning as overfitting. Claims Elon is creating a policy to fit around his personal views on a very specific situation. And this came after the Elon Jets account was banned, the account that tracks Elon's private jet. Flight trackers are all publicly available info and reposted it, which is legal in the US. So before I give it to you guys for your thoughts, I just have to say, I don't like the idea of doxing in any way, shape or form. I don't care if the information is public. If you own a home or you own property in the United States, your information is public. And that's not really anybody's business, especially for putting people's families in danger. I don't like it. I don't support it. I know we're trying to operate in a true decentralized economy, but I just don't think that it's okay in any way, shape or form. Who would like to discuss this and how it relates to Vitalik? Will? I got you. I got you. I actually have a little pushback on the story. So the context here is Elon has been making a lot of changes ever since he became the head of Twitter. He's been making them very fast and on the go, and it's been upsetting a lot of people, and rightly so, right? He's been banning some accounts, including high-profile journalists who've been tracking him. It's not going to go over well. People have been waiting for him to do something, for him to mess up ever since, since taking over Twitter. And I think this falls under that criteria, right? If you start banning people who don't like you, well, it looks very authoritative. It looks Kim Jong-un-esque, even though if it's just Twitter, we're not talking about a rogue nation state, we're just talking about Twitter, people are going to throw that comparison out there because you're banning your opponents. That being said, Elon did say, and I think he has followed through on this, that he wants to build Twitter in prod, just like we've seen in the DeFi ecosystem, where people launch applications, see if they work, see if they don't work on the go, and invite people to use them as you're building them. Elon's sort of doing that at the same time with Twitter. They've been rolling out some features, they've been changing things on the go, and that's what he said he was going to do. So it hasn't been shocking to me to see these sort of ruffled feathers, because that's what he was planning to do all along. They're going to change Twitter blue. They're going to add different verified marks. They're going to start banning people, unbanning people, changing the rules for how you can market and social on Twitter. All of this is to be expected, I think, based on that comment earlier. That being said, very frustrating for some people to be banned. It does seem like he's rolling them back, though. So I think we should just, I don't know, give a little more patience. I don't think Twitter is dead quite yet. Jen, throw it over to you. I hope Twitter is not dead quite yet. It is a toxic place, but I do... I do enjoy spending most of my time there. I think that we forget that this is how Elon runs businesses. He runs SpaceX like this. He runs Tesla like this. This is not new for how Elon behaves in a business setting, and it has worked for him in the past. I do juxtapose a lot of the decisions that he's made recently, especially when it comes to you know advertising third-party social media accounts on there. So recently, Elon says, you can't promote your Instagram on there. You can't promote your TikTok on there. You can't put the link in the bio. And you also can't use any link aggregating services like Linktree. So I think that all of these changes he's making is detrimental to people who've built a business off of their persona on Twitter. There are a lot of people who've built a brand that they make money off of by the content that they publish on Twitter. And those people are going to need to start thinking about how that brand lives elsewhere and also highlights the problem of centralized social media, right? 
you don't own what you're publishing. It could disappear overnight. And this comes back to this decentralized social conversation that we had before Elon took over social media. So I juxtapose what's going on, what we know about Elon to this whole decentralized conversation. And I think all of us on this show hoped that, that Twitter would be going in a more decentralized way when in fact it is being run even more like a centralized entity. Wendy? Well, when we came out with the new news about the updated terms of services about posting outside links to other social media platforms, people didn't like it. So Elon Musk said, you know, okay, we're not going to do it. I made a mistake. And it's very interesting that Vitalik is critiquing him because Ethereum is still technically in production as we just moved over from proof of work to proof of stake. And we don't know exactly how it's going to hold up and how it's going to work. We were promised all of these things and then things changed again. So it's very interesting seeing this type of critique from Vitalik. I personally think it's interesting the way that Elon Musk is running the platform. He's very transparent in it. If there's enough backlash, enough people chattering about something, he'll kind of you know revise that decision that he made. So overall, I think it's very interesting. And it's, I've never seen a CEO or founder of a company behave this way and actually kind of care what people are saying and making changes. So is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. It's kind of entertaining to watch. Zach? I'll tell you, it's bad and it's dumb. It's hypocritical for someone to come in and say, this is all about free speech and then go and ban reporters for simply doing Mm -hmm. the work of reporting. It's not about doxing one's location. It's about talking about something that some guy doesn't like to be talked about. It's absolutely silly and dumb. And as it relates to doing this thing and out in the open, let's hope Elon Musk abides by that. He put up a poll saying, hey, should I step down as CEO of Twitter? The poll said yes. He said he would abide by those results. So if our logic is to be believed that he's running this thing in prod in some good faith way, which I don't think this is a good faith way, <laughs> then he's gone and someone else is going to run it. So we can stop talking about Elon talking about Twitter all the time because he gone. He's gone. I'm going to abide by the results of this poll. It's been real, Elon Musk. Thank you for running Twitter for the past week and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. That makes Zach. zero sense and is highly hypocritical. The old crazy journalist coming you. out. Zach, I love the it. thing is, he's just going to change the title from instead of head to Twitter to like captain of Twitter. So he's going to, he's going to, whatever the decision is, he's going to absolutely troll everybody. So yeah, it's hypocritical. Elon, We're post hypocritical. We live in a post hypocritical, post shame society. And I'm yelling about it. I'm grumpy. I'm old man. Get off my lawn with this post hypocritical thing. Make hypocrites <laughs> shameful again or something. I'm running for president, 2024. All right, get me out of here. Who's got the next thing? Two thoughts. Two thoughts I think we should be aware of. One, there's been a lot of complaints from Tesla shareholders about Elon's time focused on Twitter. And two, we're still looking at a solid revenue model for Twitter after his wildly overpriced bid and acquisition of Twitter. So I think we have to watch those two things and understand how and why he is making these really weird actions. Watch those two things. Jen, over to you. All right. We are heading off to Yuga Labs, who has a new CEO coming in. So the former Activision Blizzard president, Daniel Allegra, is going to be the new CEO in 2023. The company says Allegra's gaming experience will help advance the other side metaverse and its ambitions for an immersive Web3 world. For those of you who don't know Activision Blizzard, they are the company behind massive games like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft little disclosure, I contribute to a Web3 Gaming DAO. So I am naturally bullish on all things Web3 Gaming. Will, what do you think of this new CEO appointment? I mean, got to be honest, a little corporate. Looks like they're just bringing someone in to professionalize something. This does not look like someone who came up or plays Call of Duty late, late at night. And that is the NFT culture that we are used to, right? We're used to people just being like building things on their sofa, not really 
uh, the corporate types, really, you know, that they're out there building NFTs, building GameFi, not professional. And I think Yuga Labs is now moving into that professional mode where they actually want things to be taken care of correctly. They're looking for accounting. And this makes sense in the wake of FTX, right? So when we saw John Ray III go to Congress and say that this was the worst corporate controls ever, that probably rung true for a lot of different crypto companies. I think a lot of crypto startups were looking at their books and be like, huh, this kind of looks like FTX a little bit. So maybe I should professionalize. So seeing something like this makes sense to me. I think we're going to see more of it. We're going to see more bleeding over of normal corporate folk into crypto because at the end of the day, you have to have it. It might be fun to run around and build things at a dev con, but at the end of the day, you have to have things professionalized and standardized if you're going to make it. Zach, to you. I like that take. It does seem kind of sad, you know, like pour one out for like weird NFT degenerate people who are running these projects and bringing on buttoned up former Activision executives to run these things and to license the IP and to make movies of it. And they're like, oh, no, just do the Hollywood thing. Just sell out, right? We got this guy coming in. Activision was here forever. They were here all the way back to Pitfall. Anyone who played Atari? Check that out way, way back, right? So maybe, maybe <laughs> NFTs are in the Atari moment of their development. And this guy will advance it toward the Call of Duty era of the NFT scene. But I don't know. I'm with Will. It feels kind of sad. I saw his hand go up. I'm tossing it down to him. Yeah. Can we get him back on the screen here? I just want to say, like, this is the person that you bring in, <laughs> no, just like John no, Ray no, III. No, don't do it. This, don't do this it. is well, the person don't do that it. you bring don't in do to standardize no, things, right? That's okay. Cold. Hey, this is who you want running your company. And I think we need to emphasize that more. FTX was run by a clown who was sleeping on a beanbag. And that's why everything was run on Google Sheets and QuickBooks. Okay. This guy ain't doing that. This guy is standard. He's professional. He is going to run. Stop fighting my bags, Will. Stop fighting my bags. It's true. No, your bags are going to strengthen from here. This man knows what he's doing. Okay. You want to see this. You want to see this. Oh, he will. He will. Jen, to you. I just want to say, you know, we spent so much time on this show talking about the horrible user experience in many different metaverses. And to have someone who worked on games like Call of Duty, I think will add some of that user experience that we've been talking about, right? People have been building these immersive worlds for a long time in Web2. And maybe we need those people to come over and help us get up off the beanbag and build something that we actually want to be in. Zach? I'm bullish. I mean, Yuga's a big deal. They're going to be sort of the flag bearer for Web3 metaverses going forward. I'm for it. We wish them success. All right, that's it. That's it for the show today. Happy Monday. Thanks for being here, watching The Hash. I'm Zach, Wendy, Jen, Will. Check us out on the Podcast Network. Come back tomorrow. Watch us talk about some more stuff. It'll be great. All right, that's it. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 